All right, everyone, welcome to another exciting episode of the Fat Games Podcast. I'm your host, Blair. Um, unfortunately, this week, Gary is a little under the weather. He couldn't make it. Now I'm going to introduce our guest this week, the wonderful, the awesome, and my personal friend, Red Bonix. Say hi. Howdy. Hi, everyone. Great. So how you doing? Good. I mean, That's- life's been a whirlwind the past year, just like it has been for pretty much everyone, I think. Uh, but it's, I, yeah, I, I gotta say, I can't complain. That, that's great, actually, because, yeah, I mean, there's, all, there's a lot to complain about in this last there's year. There's quite a lot. There's quite a lot, uh, which is kind of why I feel very uh, fortunate in a lot of ways. Well, that's awesome to hear. We could probably get into a little bit uh, on that as we get into the podcast here. All right, my friend. So why do you call yourself Red? Oh, Lord. Let's go back. Going back, back about 10 years ago. In the way back machine. <laughs> Step right on in. So... Yeah, my real name, Dave Calabrese, uh, I went by that for about half my career, maybe a little less than half, roughly. And I could never make a name for myself, you know, and I think part of that was I wasn't really going out on my own and doing stuff on my own. I was working with a lot of other companies and things. Um, But when I started my first company, my second company, I couldn't make a name. So I started trying to figure out why. And I realized that in working with different companies, they'd be like, oh, you're this great artist, or oh, you're this great voice actor. And I'm like, I mean, I'm not horrible at art, and I can voice act when I need to, but what? So I started doing some more research, and I found that the name Dave Calabrese is already used in entertainment roughly 10 plus times. <laughs> I mean, there's actually a, a, I think it's a goth metal band with the name Calabrese and everything. So I couldn't make a name because my name is already heavily used. <laughs> so I spent probably about, I'm not joking, two years researching potential names. I got an Evernote document with 200 plus possible brand names on it. And, you know, it had to be something that was easy to remember, uh, something that was like me and also something that was not already branded, didn't already have tons of, you know, Twitter accounts or anything. And after all that, I finally came up with Red Vonix. Oh, it's actually, actually Vonix was suggested by my dad because <laughs> my dad also works in games and does stuff here. Oh, really? So, yeah. So I kind of slapped Red to that and did some research. I'm like, oh my God, this is available and it's memorable. So I checked with a bunch of people, you know, kind of testing off them. They all liked it. So I trademarked the name Red Vonix. And uh, it was kind of funny because my first time in Japan back in, I think it was 2016, I actually got the message of acceptance. I'm like, I'm in Japan and I just got my trademark approved all at the same time. This is best day ever. Uh, so, and since then, you know, I go as Red. And I don't really hide my name in the industry. I mean, I just said it like what, five times during this podcast alone, uh, but uh, nobody calls me. <laughs> um, it's kind of funny because the people that I knew that I've known the longest still call me Dave, but the people that I've known more recently all call me Red, even if they know me as Dave. Like when I was in China and I basically lived with like five people for a month and a half, they still called me Red. <laughs> hmm. So, because when I first met you, I thought like you introduced yourself as Red Vonix. And mm-hmm. I think it was probably like maybe that same weekend because we were GamerX, was at four? Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I think at some point that weekend I asked you what your real name was because <laughs> I actually kind of felt weird calling you an alias. <laughs> but hey, if it's helped, that is awesome. I, that's a that's a really interesting story. I don't think you actually told me that before. 
Yeah, and it, it actually has helped because I found that I, the, the naming, since I've made that trademark, it actually has worked because I'll go place and people are like, oh yeah, I've, I've heard of you, I know you. And they actually haven't heard bad things either, which is always- Oh, that's uh, great. Nice. Always <laughs> a benefit. Uh, but but yeah, so it's it's worked. The, the brand has worked, it's gotten out there. And I mean, I, I don't have like tons of Twitter followers. I'm only at like 2176 or something like that. Uh, but even with, with that, my name still seems to be getting known in the industry. So yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> so on that note, what brought you into this crazy industry? Cause as we know, indie games is, um, <laughs> well, I've been talking with some friends, uh, some people at Gumbo and listeners of the podcast know what Gumbo is. We talked about it before. And um, we, we've, as much as we love doing this, it, it some, sometimes feels like indie games is very much a labor of love. So what pulled you into this universe? Uh, so so <laughs> going back again in the Wayback Machine, a little bit further this time, when I was a kid, which, you know, I'm an old, old man. By the way, can I swear here? Oh, feel free. Nice. Fuck yeah, because I'm an old fucking man. And because uh, I, I grew up in the 80s and 90s. And my dad used to make video games back in the 70s and 80s. And he kind of got off it, but he's, he's actually getting back into it. He, he actually owns part of my company. Um, and, and does some stuff, so does some work here with me. But anyway, uh, I kind of got interested in video games from you know seeing him make them as I was growing up. And even as a kid, I always wanted to work in entertainment. I actually originally wanted to be a stage magician, not yeah, magician. That's a new thing. Stage magician, uh, like David Copperfield was my absolute idol at the time. You know, um, I can picture that you being in like <laughs> a, a magician's getup, wearing a top hat or something, like taking it off, having a bird fly out or something. Absolutely, though. No, my persona. I take off the hat, nothing would happen. I unzip my zipper, birds everywhere. So <laughs> anyway, um. We'll follow so, up on that. <laughs> please do. Uh, okay, so, and then I wanted to do uh, film acting. It's actually something I'd still love to do sometime is some film acting or something. Uh, but um, I was more introverted as a kid, I think. And, you know, I was not exactly liked in school. And I didn't have the uh, cojones to fight back back then. Um, now I'll stab a fucker if they want to mess with me. But back then, no, I, I literally let people spit on me, like, for hours at a time, literally during school and stuff. Do it to me now. I'm I'm gonna collect your eyeballs and take them I, home with me. <laughs> I, I can relate to being bullied in school. Not pleasant. I've it's actually talked pleasant. about it on the podcast before. Yeah, yeah. Um, th th that's a whole other difficult topic. I'd get into another time. But all of this put together, you know, I, I didn't really have the, the desire to go and try out for a lot of things, even though I took some acting classes and stuff. So instead I started, you know, playing the Atari and the NES. And I was like, this is amazing. How the fuck do these exist? Do people just like reach up and pluck a game off a tree uh, or, or is there more to it? And, you know, so my dad made them, I, I kind of already had an idea of what, what goes into making these. And uh, which also means I respected the prices. Like, you know, back in the day, you know, Final Fantasy 2 was a Final Fantasy 3 American was like 65, 75 bucks when it came out. And uh, unpopular opinion, I think that's what they should still cost because that's what it takes to make these damn games require prices like that. But no, now we have like 99 cent games for something that still costs even more than that. But other topic for another time. Uh, so I would love to get into that. I will see if we have time because I think we agree. <laughs> 
Cool, cool. So uh, just kind of from that and getting into it, and you know, even in my teens, like I think I was 15 or 16 when I started trying to actually make games. Uh, but it wasn't until like the early 2000s, I really wrapped my head around programming and kind of picked up pretty quick. And, you know, I was working for T-Mobile at the time and I got a unpaid internship working uh, online for a company called 26 Productions here in Colorado. And I was still living with my family back in Pittsburgh at the time. And uh, after, you know, maybe a year, two years of this or so, uh, the 26 Productions like, hey, the house across the street from us is open. What if we all rent it and you and the other guy move out here, we start paying you a salary. And I'm like, just tell me when. Tell me when my move-in date is when we're doing this. So I did. I moved to Colorado for that. And I just kind of stayed here and, you know, worked there for a bit until they had to do layoffs. And I went and started my first company called Gaslight Studios. And I ran that straight into the ground so hard they're still a creator. Uh, and I started Cerulean Games, which is, of course, still around. That's my contract house. And then I started drunk robot games in 2015, 2016, uh, actually as a DBA of Cerulean Games for all kinds of fun legal reasons. Um, but that's pro tip for anybody who wants to have different companies for different purposes, because Cerulean Games is my contract and also drunk robot is my, for doing my original titles. Um, and yeah, just kind of got into it from doing that. And I think the first games, because it was a 21.6 and we, I worked on something they made called Orbs. Um, and Tube Twist, which I became like lead, the, the lead on for a while, which is pretty cool. And the game won a bunch of awards uh, and working some other stuff with them, including some stuff that I'm not sure if the NDAs have actually expired yet, but there's some branded stuff we worked on that uh, got canceled because that's how big projects do. Um, <laughs> and yeah, and I, I could ramble about that for a bit, but that's kind of the, 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 too long did read version of me getting started. <laughs> well, that's great because it's actually a great, great segue into the next question because I wanted to ask you what what some of your past projects have been because they you've done a lot of stuff. <laughs> I have, and it's been it's been fun. I mean, obviously there's Orbs, which there's an arcade version and a PC version. I worked on Orbs three, uh, which was a lot of fun. It was kind of silly because we weren't allowed to talk about it all while we were producing it. And I was managing the community and all the community kept saying is, are we ever going to get a new orbs? And I, I kept telling, I, I had to tell them, no, we're not. While in another window working on orbs three. <laughs> you were strictly on an NDA or was that? Well, actually the, the boss of the company said, if we talk about it, we get fired. Basically. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. So, which is sad because people wanted it so bad. And because we weren't allowed to talk about it, when it actually came down to it, the sort of publishing company, it wasn't really a publishing company as a big, thing there but I won't get into it um they end up going focusing on another game instead because the other game was talking about it so orbs 3 kind of got canned in a lot of ways uh, that's um, too bad yeah uh but of course there's two twists like I mentioned and that's up on Wikipedia you can look at that I've, I'm just trying to think what, what's like my greatest hits like I worked on uh, one of my original titles was Santa Special Delivery which is this kind of silly game about Santa shitting down the chimneys of bad kids and that comes up every holiday season. Uh, I, I'd actually love to get I it. I remember when you made that game. We had just <laughs> met like not long before that. I didn't realize yes. he was shitting down chimneys, though. Yes, because those I, kids deserved it. They were really yeah, bad. I, I'm going to be honest. I actually never played it, so now I feel terrible. I'm going to have to go back and get that game now. Well, I'd really love to get into like Humble Bundle or something this year, see if I can spin up a quick remaster of it. 
um, or something. I've, I've been because the game actually people loved it, and if you look it up on YouTube, there's always all these posts about it, uh, very positive ones. So it's something I need to think about again at some point. So there's probably there's, there's going to be more Santa, more bad Santa at some point, but not the film. More of the <laughs> shitting down the chimneys for vengeance style. So you're making a sequel then. At some point I want to, yeah. This is not a sequel announcement. This is a intention of. <laughs> a desire to. Yes. So Okay, so let's see. So I worked on a couple of porn games, which I know you, you already said. I have, yeah, that was one of the questions. So, I wanted. We'll, so let's we'll get, get into to that those. now. Why not? Well, tell well, us about, okay. tell us about that. <laughs> so there's a company called D-Dub. And they, so back in the day, there was, I promise this is all related. <laughs> uh, there was a game engine company there's a game company called garage games and uh they made a game engine called torque engine torque 3d which is what we did like everything and torque basically used to be the unity back in the yeah, day I've heard of before, torque. yeah yeah before unity took over and i got to be like good with torque like, like i'll i'll stroke my own ego there that i was fucking good with torque um and you know i did i even did stuff with garage games i helped with their internal engine documentation other things and um I did a lot of I did, I did a lot in their uh, forums, and that's actually one of the things that I've mentioned to Unity numerous times. Is I feel they are not as approachable and don't have the same acceptance or, or acceptability. That's not the right word, but the community is not strong with Unity. While with Garage Games, they had a very very good community, and I was strongly part of that, and I'd always post and help out other engineers with questions and things like that. I work on tools and share them with people. So there's all that. And now D-Dub made this game Bone Town, which was, uh, if you were to sort of take um, Grand Theft Auto, give it more of a tune style and make it about fucking, uh, you in many ways get um, Bone Town. And I could see how that game could lend <laughs> itself. Yeah, yes. yeah. And for those who know Bone Town are sitting there going, oh my God, Red accepts that game. Okay, I would totally admit there's a few um, not woke parts about that game. <laughs> um, and, you know, we all evolve and we change. And I, <laughs> I was not a designer on that game by any means. I, I came in long after the game was done. We'll get to that in a second. So, so you have to worry about it because um, we, we, when we first started the podcast, we talked about the original version of Kids of Karen now. And believe me, there was stuff in that game <laughs> that certainly not woke now, but when we made that game also was not acceptable by, <laughs> by societal standards. Gotcha. Yeah, that, that, that's fair. So, um, so, but with Bone Town, so yeah, so I was, you know, I've always been very sexually accepting of things. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm an open, I'm very publicly in open relationship. Uh, I, I do label as a swinger slash non-monogamous slash poly, whatever. On you another know. podcast, I would love to talk more about that, but not yeah. one that's related to video games, I don't think. <laughs> no, and, and, I, and, I wasn't, and I'm not going to bring it up more than that. But the reason I bring that up is just to say that, you know, I've always been very accepting and open to these kinds of things. So I'm like, well, here's this Bone Town game, and it was done in Torque 3D. I'm like, oh, well, that's cool. And 
from being very accepting of this kind of stuff, I'm like, I would love to get the chance to work on that. Oh, but oh, the game is done though. So, well, well I'll, I'll just have to watch things like that in the future for opportunities. And then at some point I suddenly see up on the uh, Torque forums that they are looking for a Torque engineer to help them with some stuff. So I see this at like three in the morning one night when I'm just up late doing various work things and some project and I reach out to them and almost immediately they recognize me for all of my posts and all of the stuff I've done on the forums and respond oh. to me and say, uh, fuck yes, we want to work with you. Um, you're in, now let us tell you what we need you to do. <laughs> and wow. they hired me basically on the spot for you know money to do a controller integration to the game. So the time didn't, it was only like keyboard and mouse. So, so you got to work in a porn uh, on, on town. And they even flew me out there. So I got to meet with the developers and everything and hang out with them and a little 420 with them and everything. So, so and what, what are the people like that, uh, that, uh, that are into making porn games? Very honest, very professional, uh, very laid back. Um, not what they show on, and I'm going to say, I'm sure this isn't everyone obviously but what they show on like tv and stuff that's not it at all because they always show like these slimy <laughs> greasy people who like never shower and just pay for sex left and right it's like yeah it's like i was gonna say so uh, no one there was like so you want to be yeah. a star do you <laughs> i mean if it says anything i was the only one in, even in an open relationship out of all of them and most of them were married <laughs> so there's that. I mean, they they work with porn stars. They worked with Ron Jeremy. The the one individual was talking about, you know, actually flying out to set to to talk with porn stars and doing business with them directly of, of all genders. And but yeah, they are very professional and very cool people. I, I didn't have any issues with them. So is there um, still a lot going on in the porn game space? Yes, so much more than there was before. Um, uh, and I'm actually in some discords for for all of that because I've never like the last time I played anything re remotely pornographic in a video game was back in like I want to say the early 2000s, maybe late 90s when emulators were started becoming a thing and people did ROM hacks of Atari games and turned them <laughs> into sex games. That was like, I think yeah. the only time I've ever played <laughs> anything pornographic and it's the Atari. There was two colors. There were boxes. So porn games have definitely changed a lot. And in some ways, I almost want to say Bone Town might have been partially responsible for some of that. Because back in the day, yeah, a lot of the porn games were that, exactly what you're saying. But they're also, um, how do you say, boring as shit. Uh, mm -hmm. Because the whole mini game mechanic of just fucking, and I mean in any way, with any body part, with any gender or combination of genders, it's boring it's fun in person but when you put it into a video game no matter what you do it's so boring yeah I can and see that. it was kind of funny because bone town devs even they admitted they're like yeah nobody's gonna play the uh sex portions of this game and jerk off to it, it, it it's not that exciting but so what i'm trying to get at is that the ones today are really fucking good like there's a there's one that's there's a number of metroidvania ones and so there's a lot of common mechanics there where you're you basically um have to find certain you, you almost have to solve like sex battle puzzles to collect characters that you can then use in battles and stuff almost like a, a pokemon thing there's um is it really a, 
about the porn then or is it just the characters that are like naked maybe not so much about the porn it's it's kind of because this is actually something that, that i had tuned in on like 10 years ago back when we were working on bone town stuff uh that what the games that are really going to work as porn games are games that are not sex games but games that happen to include sex as, as part of them um, or happen to include sex as part of the mechanics, but mm. aren't sex games themselves. Not, they're, and, they're not focused on that as a core mechanic. Right, they actually right. are real and, games. Yeah, and from what I've seen over the years, uh, that's exactly what has taken off. Now, sadly, financially, it's not there as much. And a lot of that was that's my next question. Yeah, and a lot of that's because... Um, there's a lot of political issues where people seem to think that, you know, sex is bad. Okay. So it's hard to get funding for a lot of these, a lot of there's, I know a lot of banks won't even work with you if you do anything in porn. So you have to, you have to, even if you're an entirely legit business, if you do anything with porn, you almost have to do sneaky things just to be as legal as possible and not just like store piles of money in houses which is exactly what happened with the marijuana industry because you know, I'm in Colorado. Yeah. So, you know, where the highest city in the nation for multiple reasons. And when weed became legal here, the dispensaries were making so much money. Um, because for, the, for those who don't know, Colorado, I believe was the first in, uh, the, United in States the US, America, right? Yeah, to, to get um, the ability to legally sell marijuana recreationally. And part of that was that it was taxed and those taxes then went into the educational system, which has done all of these, these great boosts to it. Um, but I don't know the details of what's been boosted, so I'm not going to get into that because I'd just be pulling shit on my ass, but we can research it and find out. But that was the point of it. So, and, you know, people are like, yeah, marijuana, why not? And so they were making a ridiculous amount of money and they actually were renting houses and buying houses and all they did is they stored their their physical money in the house because no bank would store their money because it was federally illegal and some of the porn companies i've known in the past have done very similar things not because they were doing anything illegit but because the banks wouldn't let them store the money which of course then has its own problems because you get people who find out where these houses are break into them and start trying to steal the money yeah and then you get into all kinds of other issues so it's honestly it pisses me off because this shit should not be illegal and i i have theories on why it's illegal and then we just get into dirty so you're basically if if you're going into porn whether it being video games or otherwise you're also going into real estate uh kind of yes (laughs) there's good sneaky ways around it like um you could always do i mean and again I use the word sneaky because you could do like holding companies yep. the holding company is one doing the porn and your main company isn't and, but then it's you know what does the bank you have to yeah the bank yeah. If the bank finds out about that yeah make you happy it can be sneaky so it's frustrating and it's all set up to screw people in the, the bad way but because of all that it also means that none of this pays well and if you think video games don't pay well oh video game porn pays even less i know because i have looked for projects there and i was getting offered like a fraction of what i would get offered 
to do like senior engineer stuff in games and senior engineer stuff in games is pretty fucking low. So like, it's, a, it's more so a labor of love than, than making games, than making normal games. Mm. It really is. And I'm not going to say people can't make money there, but again, we're talking the minority versus majority and it's kind of like yeah. iOS games. The majority won't sell a single copy. The minority will sell hundreds of thousands a day. Yeah, it's like it's like anything today. We've democratized the whole process, whether and we've done that for music as well, and even in some respects with with um, productions like like video productions because of YouTube, like this podcast being in video form. It's um, made it so. Yeah, you win the lottery and you're successful and you do really well. The same is for making games or or, or having a band or whatever. Mm-hmm. So none of that's really changed although the process is a lot more democratized you far fewer control uh the industry like it used to but there's still the money filters up to a select few yeah absolutely which it's which sucks but not all mm-hmm. not everyone can become a millionaire although we not want everyone, to no. <laughs> I'm definitely working on it <laughs> so on that note then I know you're working on it. You got a lot of great stuff in the pipeline. So on, on that note, tell me a little bit about Runic, if that is the current name of the title. That is the name. Yeah. And I, I know it was originally called Gloam, but we changed it to Runic and we discovered that somebody already claimed Gloam up on the Steam Steam store. <laughs> so he couldn't use Gloam. But yeah, so Runic. Runic is a premium match three story driven adventure game. Um, So you play as the unnamed mortal and the, there's basically this event going on in the world where one day the sun rose and just never went down again. In fact, the, the full name of the game is runic eternal sunrise because it's been a sunrise has not gone down and it's been about a month month and a half now at the point the game starts and as the unnamed villager you're sent to the ancient ruins where it's said we used to communicate with the celestials and basically they're desperate for anything to work at this point and nobody's communicated with the celestials apparently if they even exist in you know hundreds of thousands of years so you go to these ruins and you attempt to communicate and it works, they do exist. Um, And this one, a very young celestial named Are comes down and she's kind of saying that, oh crap, this is like my first gig ever working with somebody and oh crap, this is way bigger than I have ever thought I could work with. I'm more here for like, you know, you lost your sheep, cool, I can help you find your sheep. Oh, the entire world is in danger, I'm fucked. But she's the one who ends up helping you. And you go through the game uh, with the match three mechanics, very similar in a lot of ways to Candy Crush, but without any of that, there's no ads, there's none of that that bullshit, you know, purchasing stuff. You buy the game once, you have it. And you you go through, yes. And there's an ongoing story as you continue on. Um, We have a whole item system and each item can be upgraded, which makes them a little more powerful. there's five worlds in the game. Each world ends with a boss battle, including a final boss battle that has own music, everything. So how does a boss battle work in a match three game? So the boss battles for our game specifically are very interesting because basically what you come down with is that each boss is based on a particular element. And we work more with, with um, 
not so much the American concepts of elements, but I believe they're more like the, the I want to say the Chinese style, where it's, um, and now I'm on the spot, I'm not going to remember, but it's like metal, fire, water, sun and moon, something like that. Um, don't quote me on that. I mean, I've only worked on the game for a while, but I can't remember this. So um, each of the bosses uh, is what is an element called an elemental beast. And as you go through the game, there's these crystals and the, inside these crystals, there's trapped a pixie and the, there's a pixie to each of each of the elements, so each of the the you know four main elements: fire, water, um, forest, and something else: fire, water, force, and stone. So the elemental beasts are formed, as you'll learn through various story reasons in the game, are formed out of a particular set of pixies. They kind of come together to form this, and to fight them, you have to use the opposite element against them uh, by matching it on the board. But in turn, if you match uh, their their element, you'll actually heal them. So in the case of the metal, the metal beast, you have to match forest pieces against them, which will do damage to them. And, but if you match metal, it will heal them. But at the same time, you know, they will retaliate. So if you do attack the metal forest beast with forest pieces, um, that character specifically, each one has a different kind of attack. That one specifically so, will drop swords out of the sky and blocking spaces for a period of time. Um, well, that's really awesome. Um, so uh, uh, as Red mentioned, I actually, he has sent me a build and I have played the game and it is, it is really great. Um, it is a match three game. Um, so those are, those in my books are awesome. I, I used to play a lot more of them, mostly on mobile um, and kind of like games, like not, not quite mastery, but like puzzles and dragons. Uh, or Puzzle and Dragons, I think it was that old. Do you have you played that? That mobile game? Maybe. It, it was like, God, how long ago was I? I want to say it was almost, Christ, it was like eight years ago now when I last played that now. So I'm sure it's still a thing. Um, <laughs> but yeah, there's a bunch of other games like it um, that follow the same sort of um, context. Except that those games are more like RPGs where you're doing a match three to like cast a spell against an enemy on the screen. They're kind of dungeon crawly. Yeah. But yeah. But yeah, definitely, definitely looking forward to this one. And you said you're releasing it on Switch. So we, I mean, the game has been built to run on everything. And I mean, I've already made Switch builds and everything. We haven't settled with a publisher yet, but the, so we're actually first releasing on the Leia Red hologram phone. Um, cause this was sort of a partnership project with them. Okay. Um, so we're going to release on there and then we're going to come back and we're going to do a bunch of updates. We're going to add in some hidden content and bonuses for those who like hundred percent parts of the game. Um, and then we're, we're looking to release pretty much on switch, you know, Xbox one, PS4, et cetera. You know, um, part of the thing that I do with games, I just make sure they work on all platforms from day one. So we're already a multi-platform title. It's been tested. Plus it's a multilingual title. Everything's already localizable in the game. So we're aiming to do worldwide release on all platforms, um, which I know everybody says, you can't do this one person team. And I go fucking watch me. Yeah, I was just about to say, <laughs> how big is your team? My team is me. And anybody who thinks they can't do it, like I said, fucking watch Well, when me. you say, because I thought you had some help with music and stuff, or, or am I wrong? Well, in terms of engineering, it's me. Yeah, okay. so it's myself. Uh, I'm also working with a gentleman by the name of Devin Motola, he did the soundtrack for the game. That and name sounds awfully familiar. But he's anyway, go worked on. with me on other stuff in the past, and he's doing some music for Potato Tail also. And then uh, we also have um, 
uh, Rocknock or Mario Santos, who did the character art and a good bit of the scenery art as well for Runic. Hope. Hope is different for everyone. Some hope for success. Hope for love. Hope for freedom. Some hope the missing will return. By the cataclysm they herald will never rise again. Okay, so you actually, I'm going to change gears a little bit here, um, and you kind of just mentioned it, but good sir, what happens when you combine a cat and a potato? <laughs> well, you get one of the biggest fucking games I've ever worked on that is actually going to probably hopefully release in 2023 um, called A Potato Tale, which is a... <laughs> a puzzle platforming JRPG adventure about the potato cats on the Isle of Moor. Okay. <laughs> I, I got like a ton of things I want to ask you about this because, so when we first met, you were, you were just starting, well, actually, no, I don't think you were starting on Potato Tail. I think you may no, we, on... we had just started because uh, okay. I actually started Potato in late 2015 and I had originally built it out as, you're going to laugh, as a, let's just do a quick little puzzle game and get it out there. Scope um, creep. <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. So we built that in, I started in late 2015. And at GDC, I actually took a build with me of this little simple puzzle game where you placed characters. And like, for example, you might have a wall beer is the wall and there'd be a star over here and you'd have a mount point here and you have to place the characters so they sort of like arc and physics bend over a touch the star and that's how you completed levels and i showed off i think four or five levels i showed with some friends and they all pretty much dug it quite a bit um but i played this game at uh the mix gdc 2016 um which is when i was showing this off uh called Hue. And 
I'm playing it, and Hue is this puzzle game where you like collect colors and have to sort of change the color of your environment to reveal different things. And the game was a Metroidvania, but I kept thinking, man, this feels like it could have been a puzzle game, but it's so much cooler as a Metroidvania. Why couldn't I do that with Potato Tail? And then the and scope creep begins. So <laughs> I'm at a party the next night and I actually run into the developer. I don't know he's a developer of Hue at first. It's a Henry Hoffman. And I'm chatting with him and I'm like, oh yeah, I was play playing this, this Hue game. And he goes, really? That's my game. I'm like, oh, well, I was playing it. And you know, I saw how it was this like puzzle game, but a Metroidvania and everything. And he goes, you know, that's, is, it's interesting you said that because Hugh used to be a puzzle game. We turned it into Metroidvania. I'm like, because of playing that game, I've been working on this puzzle game and I decided I'm going to go home and turn it into a Metroidvania. He's like going, yes, yes, I did the same thing. I'm so glad you got that out of it. So I came home and I fucking did that. I made a platforming system and I tried jumping this character around. You know, I'd place the characters just like in the puzzle version and I jumped the character. I'm, and I'm like, this is fun. <laughs> I actually kind of really dig this. And so from there, I just kind of kept growing it. And, you know, we, we never really had a budget for it. So I, I was never able to like throw a lot of money at it. And I mean, we got a little money here and there, but it was like, not a lot. And so it's enough for me to like pay for some music, pay for some art, things like that. So as a result, you know, I, I was pretty much working a lot of these, you know, various side projects as I mean, you do in games until you get some, something stable. So I'm working like four or five full-time projects at a time for like pennies to the dollar just to not be able to pay bills. But at the same time, I'm working on this potato project on the side, just kind of screwing around with different ideas, but never actually having a very cohesive direction because of, you know, I'm like, oh, well, I don't have time to work right now. So we're going to shelve it for three months and come back to it. And I come back to it and have all these new ideas and different directions. I'm like, oh, well, this thing here isn't as good as it could be, things like that. So that, that kind of resulted in it kind of really just blowing up into in, in scope. And I think it was around 2018, I want to say it was, that um, we, we were pushing hard, like really hard to get some funding. Yep. And we even had this one publisher who we were actually this close to signing with. They're going to give us the full budget we need to produce the game. And then at the last fucking second, these assholes pull out. And I'll tell you privately later who it is. I'm, I'm not going to publicly shit on people, but I tell everybody I can not to work with this publisher because they are, they did this to me and they did this to a few other companies that I'm friends with also. Um, but I mean, we are, we are so close to signing with them. We even did the thing where I... At uh, GDC 2018, I actually brought a bottle of fucking locally produced uh, whiskey or rum. I forget what it was, but it was like a, an expensive bottle made in Colorado. And I gave it to them and everything as, you know, a, a goodwill gift because I knew we were about to sign. And, you know, in person, even like, yeah, so we're going to go home. We're going to send you the paperwork. I'm like, this is amazing. So that actually affected how I treated the entirety of GDC. Went home and they're like, we're concerned about what you're showing that it doesn't seem like a finished game and all these things. I'm like, it's a demo, early demo. So they basically backed out of the project and fucked me over pretty bad because we had set, because that was pretty much close. We had set everything up around that. After that, I was so dejected by the whole thing that I was like, you know, let's just, let's pause this and rebuild as much as we can to something much cleaner and so come back to it later, pretty much. The lesson you learned from that is give them the booze after the deal is signed. Exactly. 
that and trust nobody until it's the the ink is and, yeah, until the ink is on the uh, yeah the, yeah um, the but contract the fact, signed. yeah but the fact they did that to me and they did that to a bunch of other companies I know who were in very similar positions they had you know like rocking demos and everything because I'm I'm sure you've seen potato was in the press yep. we were getting all this positive feedback and everything. I mean, even today, we we actually have a Discord today with like 156 users, and it's the busiest, noisiest Discord I am in. Your, your Discord, are, cer Discord certainly is um, far livelier than the kids of Karen now Discord. <laughs> and I, I just feel so fortunate we've got such a community there, and there are people that are willing to wait for Potato Tail also. Yeah, so... so. <laughs> I, I like, on that note, because you're taking a step, you're, you're taking a step back now, and... and well, this polishing, is that now, then. But then, um, and yeah. well, still now, right? I mean, you're still doing a lot of work on it now. Now, but we're in a different position now. <laughs> right. Um, but I remember some of the feedback that you told me on Discord um, that you received is like, like about the jumping mechanic and how, I don't know, what was the exact feedback you got that like wasn't, didn't feel like comfortable, <laughs> natural, something to that effect? Some people said it was floaty. Some people said it was heavy. It was literally opposite things. And I, this is something I've learned about jump mechanics. You see this even in big AAA popular games. Everybody hates a jump. I, I really liked it because um, I felt like when I was jumping in that game, I was a potato cat jumping. And that's how I felt a potato cat would jump. That's just it just made complete sense to me just with the context of everything else in the game it was like the perfect jump but hey what I, do i know <laughs> well i think we went back to a lot of the, the way that's that felt because we did redo a bunch of the platforming mechanics everything uh the platforming code and i think we went back to that because we're also being we had a little money in the game i mean a little money and some influencing some design because of that but we've actually um separated ourselves from the 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 individual with it um, for reasons I won't get into here or really anywhere public. Uh, but so we've kind of changed a lot of our design direction as a result. But um, I, I guess let me, let me go back to where I was a moment ago and kind of come bring up to where we are now because I think it will help to explain things. Um, so we, what I personally decided is I was also literally going like proper insane because I couldn't find the money to survive or anything. So I'm trying to. I remember that. Because signing that deal basically gave me survival money, gave me the money to finish Potato Tail properly, um, and got us out of a really bad place. So when that ended, that was it. I had some other projects I was working on, but they're all like very low pain as games are. Um, and I pretty much had to go to my clients at the time because I did the math and I realized that to keep to get the money needed for me to just just pay my basic bills with the money I was being offered by clients as well as potential clients, I would need to take on, I think it was eight full-time projects. And I calculated the time and I would get three hours of sleep a night and I would not get a day off ever. Um, and I would also only get, I think, an hour off a day for food. And this would allow me to finish the projects and still not make enough money to pay my bills. And oh, that these sounds wonderful. Even, these aren't even rich person bills or anything. These are just bill bills. I mean, yeah, I've got 
debt and things from not making enough money to survive. And, you know, I have tax problems from not being, not making enough money to pay my taxes. And I have medical bills because, you know, we've had ER visits and things. And my wife spent uh, oh, two weeks in the ER at different points. Uh, so yeah, we were so broke that we started like looking, we're like, can we afford, do, do we need to get um, food stamps? Did, are we even going to be able to pay rent this month? next month could we pay it last month i mean i don't know how many times we actually went to my apartment and pleaded with them to let us pay late and they said sure but they're going to have to charge us so we always had to pay like additional 45 dollars on top of our rent and things mm. it was Dude. bad so i'm sorry I, that, that must have been so stressful i'm so it, sorry it was, it was so bad and um i think i was so disillusioned with games at that point i'm like this is not survivable I've, I had applied for almost 150 jobs and I was getting a mix of zero responses or those who didn't respond said I wasn't, uh, I didn't have the experience they needed and the handful of interviews I did get didn't go anywhere. Um, and I learned at the time, don't trust headhunters because it seems like, cause they would always be like, oh yeah, we're going to get you in. No, we, yeah. we want you for this job. And I would never hear from them again. So I'm like, are headhunters like scams and collecting resumes? How does that even make sense? So I ended up uh, pretty much going to the majority of my clients and telling them, I'm sorry, I have to cancel this project. Uh, I can't, I mean, I, I gave them a professional reason, but truthfully, I couldn't mentally continue. I was, I was very seriously considering suicide. Uh, oh my God. And I, I remember even telling my dad that I'm like, I think I might leave the game industry. And he's like, you sure you want to do it? That's kind of what your passion is. And I'm like, this industry is not survivable. You cannot work here and uh, make enough money to live or anything. So I ended up doing all of that, backed away from projects. Uh, there's still one person in particular I, I feel really bad about because I think she thinks I hate her or something. Because when I backed away from a business deal we had, she even messaged me like three weeks later and she's like, I just need to know, was it something I did? And I'm like, I, I promise it's nothing you did. So if well, you, maybe, so, maybe she'll watch this podcast. I, I was going to say, and... if you, if, she, if she's watching this, you know who you are. And I swear it was nothing about you. I was just, I couldn't afford to keep up with that. So um, what do we do? We, basically just got ourselves into massive debt. And I looked everywhere for work. Um, I did have a little money coming in from one project. And that was one that actually set, ended up sending me to China and everything. Um, but I had to be damn careful because uh, we were still borrowing to pay rent and everything. Um, and I know my, my dad had always made decent money, uh, basically supported me in a lot of ways. You know, we borrowed money from them. We borrowed money from my wife's parents left and right. And since the time I'm putting in resumes everywhere, I'm getting nowhere. So we're talking at this, I think this is a good six or seven months had passed, me looking for work and getting nothing. Uh, and the only offers I was getting was from small companies who was give, who were offering me, um, uh, I think the average was 15 to $20 an hour. The highest I was being offered five an hour. And I did relations and even if I worked 35 an hour, like three of those jobs, I still wouldn't be able to afford my rent and all the uh, bills and debt I had at the time. So, wow. <laughs> all um, of this goes into I finally did get a job, but they still 
underpaid pretty significantly and they were a very toxic company unfortunately um and but so worked them up until 2018 then i we mutually quit they, we, it was a mutual separation because i'm like you guys are toxic and they're like we're well, not finishing anything i'm like because y'all are toxic fucks so that ended and uh, i spent like another seven months looking for work and i finally Oh no, that, that time was five months. And I did find something, but it was outside of games. Actually, the first was outside of games too. Um, but I, then, so all that kept going on. And the other one I found, they weren't a bad company by any means. Um, the, the one I got in 2019, 20, no, I'm sorry, 2020. 2020, that's when I actually found good. So it took me almost a year and a half of searching to actually find something decent that paid proper. <laughs> Wow. So that's why I never lose your job in games. And this, again, none of this even in game. So I get that. And for the first time in year, I'm actually making money to survive, enough money to put away. It's still a contract job, though, um, which is why I was convinced there are no salary positions available at all anymore for engineers, because I couldn't find one. Um, so, but with that, I was able to start kind of turning things around. I'm like, I was finally not impossibly depressed. You know, people like, I got all this blurred for a reason. People have seen that, how much my place is trashed. And much of that is because of massive depression for um, on top of lots of death. Because I mean, let's be honest, 2020 was a little difficult for people. Uh, anyway, so on top of that, three of my died in the past year and a half. Um, you know, I've, I'm a little close to my cats, uh, in, including one that was like basically my familiar. They're so fucking close. Was that fact, Pixel? I keep... No, Pixel is thankfully still around. Okay, uh, thank God. Snagglepuss, okay. who's, who's actually uh, some of his ashes and little hearts that I keep with me at my desk. Um, so we had that. We had family members die. We had all this terrible shit happen. Uh, you know, I was. I was. <laughs> Sorry. Go ahead. I was along well, with you on that ride for a while. I, like, I mean, I kept talking to you um, on yeah. Discord during that. I mean, but you and I haven't spoken in person in years. Um, no, and I, I look forward to us fixing that. <laughs> yeah, me too. But um, I, I don't think I really truly realized the your emotional state. And, I mean, I oh, think bad. I did, but because um, it's just for hearing it now, it's just like, oh man, this just makes me feel like real bad for you and i'll be honest there's actually other stuff that happened too that just pounded into all this and those are things i'll even get into in public but there's just there is even more and more and more so but from a lot of that i actually left like all the communities i was in um and other things but so i was finally making and i swear this is all related to potato um so I, uh, so I was finally making enough money to survive and enough money to like put some away with and pay my bills and I'm getting out of that. And I'm like, for once, I didn't have to freak out and worry about things. The only thing I had to worry about was getting paid by a contract client, which you know how they always are. They, they like to delay things out as long as possible. So there were still a few months where like, um, money now, you're mm -hmm. three weeks late. Uh, but aside from that, yeah, everything was going pretty fucking well. So um, I was actually able to finally start looking at projects again. And 
Runic, we actually started in 2018, early oh, 2018 wow. is when we closed the deal. We are two years late in uh, in that for our, our for our partner, and I'm very happy they've been so willing to work with us and deal with us. Um, and or I should say deal with us, but work with us on the delays and everything. But a lot of that was because I was in such a bad place. I couldn't finish this game. Um, but getting that up last year, I was finally at a point where I was able to start, you know, focusing on things again. And I took a hefty step back. And I was, you know, looking at uh, Loam, became Runic, and figured out the completion plan to make this work. Um, so I'm sure people are like, didn't you go last year red and yeah i did because one of my clients i got who was a super awesome client i actually still have them um they actually gave me the money to go <laughs> and started working with them uh so that was sorry that was really i think you broke a couple of us the tokyo game show you went to right no, this actually wasn't tokyo game show um I, I mean i did go to tokyo game show for business with like some of the last of my business money back in uh-huh. 20 um 2019. Okay, so I got my time. So sorry, I'm sorry. Where did you go then? So, well, so in 2019 to TGS to find projects. Um, Didn't find anything because we hadn't released anything in a while. And as a game company, you haven't released anything, you don't exist. So, but in early 2020, just before, I mean, literally just before all the pandemic stuff hit the, you know, shit the fan and the bed at once, um, you know, one client's like, hey, you want to go to Japan? I was like, what what body part am I putting where to, to do this? Because yes, I'd love to go to Japan. And they're like, okay, well, you know, it's part of working with us. Here, money here. You know, you'll here's you'll a bonus. Go fly to Japan. Pretty much, yeah. So they funded my entire fucking Japan, which was wonderful. But I'm just bringing it up in case people watching this are like, Brad, you say you were so broke, but you went to Japan. I'm like, yeah, and that was that was how and why, and also how I went in, in 20. The last of my business funds to find work uh, that wiped out whatever the company had left. Um, so uh, yeah, so went through Gloam, restructured everything, and have been working since then on getting it cleaned up and done. And I basically remember I was even telling my wife, who handles like the, the CFO stuff of the company, I was like, I'm gonna have to put potato on pause, but I think we actually have a plan here. And we can get this done and then pick up potato again. And meanwhile, kind of clean up the potato design, which is exactly what we did. So Runic is, I mean, Gloam, now Runic, is pretty much done aside from some final and publishing hunting. And move, where we moved back into potato, we've kind of cleaned up the business project portion of that. We've been discussing potential new professional partnerships with that that I'm not ready to talk about, but, you know, could in the future. Um, and there's some huge opportunities there. And we've gone back into production kind of at time because I've reviewed the entire design pretty heavily. We made a lot of changes and we did one of the things that Potato never had before is we finalized the fucking design. Um, so it's, it's no longer all these random ideas floating around. It's this is what we're making. This is the scope of the game. The long we anticipate players are going to take through it. This is how long we think it's going to take them to get to this point, this point, and so forth. And I know exactly what we're building now. And we've been starting work on that. And as people even in the Potato Tail Discord have seen, you know, we've been reporting to the members there uh, our ongoing progress. 
That's really awesome. However, <laughs> I still want to make a bet with you. Oh, no. So I want to bet. Just, just maybe for fun bet. You're saying <laughs> 2023 for potato. How, how confident are you in that? To be honest, I'm 60%. 60%. 65%. So I've been telling uh, people 2025, 26 for Karen Dow. So I, 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 I challenge you. No, I'm not going to make you a bet. I will challenge you. I will challenge you to get potato done before Karen Dow. And if you don't, I win something. <laughs> how does that sound? Uh, you got yourself a deal. I just want to know how much we're down the line here. I don't know. We, we, how, how about just a night of drinks? We'll, we'll start small. Night drinks works. I was going to say a PS5, but they have to exist first, first even buy one. So drinks or a Switch Pro, because those should, should exist by then. Maybe. And Potato Tail will be on it. So I look forward to you buying it. Uh, I'm, I'm hoping Carindale will be on it as well. So that's the plan, well, at least. You know me, so we can duck one way or another if you need. <laughs> All right. We'll make it work. Yes. Awesome. Now, now, we've, now, we, now we've got motivation for, for each other to get our games done in a reasonable time frame. Yes, free drinks. Eh, you know, what's wrong with that? <laughs> uh, nothing. <Literally> nothing <laughs> so, um, holy crap, after that story, the, the, the next question I have kind of seems irrelevant. Do <laughs> <laughs> you have any other challenges you want to add? Uh, to uh, <laughs> to the stuff you faced, or, or, are, you, or are you about good? <laughs> I'm thinking. I'm also watching the idle images on the TV above me. Um, <laughs> okay, well, let me let me phrase the question. What are some of the harder technical challenges you faced? This not not okay. not the all the horrible other stuff when it comes to finding work <laughs> and finding a, a fair payment, etc. But some of the, some of the stuff that racks your brain that that takes you out of can takes you away from all the all that other sure shit. so on runic it was interesting because you know that partnership with leia uh their their phone is actually really cool because it's a hologram phone and it's sort of like a lenticular card and as you rotate it you can literally like see into the world and it's sort of like remember how the 3ds was you could stare at it and there's that depth to it except this takes it one step further and you can actually rotate it and see that and technically, um, it does this with a, you know, an array of cameras. And that led a, a pretty big technical challenge in Unity because uh, when you start stacking cameras in Unity, it slows down significantly. So there is actually quite a lot of visual detailing we wanted to put in the game. And we found there was just no way to add it in without dropping our frame rate like this is why phenomenal. I love talking to you because I just learned something new. I was wondering why the frame rate dropped in Karen Dow so much, and it's because I added a bunch of extra cameras in for some visual effects. <laughs> well, there you go. That's why. And I mean, like in Potato Tail, we actually do use uh, a bunch of cameras, but we very, very carefully manage what we're rendering. So, like this camera only sees these few things, like might only see place characters, and we use that as data to put into different shaders. Um, because things that people have not seen at all yet in Potato, because it's going to be in the new builds, are all these new screen shader effects to do things. Like when you're placing characters, anywhere you can't place a character actually shows like this, you know, 
one kind of overlay anywhere you can place character okay. is dark or faded or some other okay, right cool. and the characters are in full color so this all had to be we had to render all these separately but we control that very very strongly and by doing that it actually uh, doesn't really hit the frame rate that bad because the cameras aren't rendering everything well okay. when you have the lenticular display and you have this array of cameras each camera well, is rendering everything to get that 3d depth so in um <laughs> so when you when you're you uh, working in Unity, though, does the frame rate still get hit? Like, because I imagine things are fine when you actually do a, a proper build, but when you're working in Unity, you, are you seeing? Because that's where, like, it's fine when I do the builds, but when I'm actually working in Unity, that's usually when I see the frame rate hit. Now, there's a frame rate hit in Unity and in the builds. Well, yeah, and in the builds, because we had we had a lot of frame rate issues, to be honest, in in Runic, and you know, we push builds to land. They'll be like, um, your frame well, thought- rate is. No, I thought that was just because of my computer. I thought I didn't think it was the game. I wasn't no, going it, to blame on you. <laughs> it's it's very likely that 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 bunch of cameras you have, and, and and just you know you can do it as long as you're just very carefully managing the layers and what each camera can see. Yeah, I probably just need to also disable the cameras too, and I'm not when I don't need them because I don't need them all the time. That's a good and, tech. This is why I like asking these questions because I feel like I learned something. And that's something we do in Proteda is the cameras aren't all on at all times. I actually wrote a camera management system and I can sort of tell, you know, enable enable camera setup for placing characters. And the one script knows what that means and which cameras to put on, things like that. So so it's it's very, very managed. I feel like I'm going to pick your brain for more more on this later, but not during the podcast. It's probably, it might be boring some of our listeners or engaging them. It's hard to say. We need the side technical podcast. Yeah, we may, yeah, we should, maybe I should do that one time. Okay. Picking, so. picking Red's brain. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, you know what? Um, uh, okay, I'll ask this question. So you, you, okay. you and I have had this conversation uh, a few times over Discord. Um, and I challenged you on this because we were talking about Potato Tail. And, and the question kind of was, well, how do you think you can get the game done so quickly? And you always sort of lean back and said, well, I've, you basically say you have a shit ton of tools that will make the development fairly rapid. Mm-hmm. So you want to talk about that a little bit or? <laughs> sure. Um, so with all of this time that we spent on the game and back when we were just, it was all very, flexible and not really well designed or anything um which also went into the you know so many different mechanics and systems in the game is us just be like let's just build this into the game and have fun with it um but part of that was also the behind the scenes tools so you know for for being able to support all the different consoles i wrote a multi-platform wrapper system which means that the game never talks to the consoles the game talks to this wrapper system which then figures out which console you're on and takes things from there right um so as a result, I can add in a new console like last week. All I need is for Unity to support it and write a wrapper plugin for my existing wrapper and boom, new console supported, nothing else to do. Um, and I've already proven that by easily taking games to mobile, PS4 and Xbox One and Switch by just hitting compile. Uh, oh, wow. So heard- that... Sorry, go ahead. I've heard that shaders can get broken and stuff, though, when you when you cross shaders get broken on PlayStation Four. Yes, so there is a little more work to do there, but on everything else, it's all standard now. Um, well, that's good. <laughs> but, 
And so that can be an issue if you're using a shitload of custom shaders, but I've helped some people with porting where they were using a bunch of custom shaders. And it honestly wasn't that big of a deal to, to be like, oh, well, this one thing breaks PS4. So we'll just change it to this globally in all of the shaders and boom, everything works. So it's only really a problem if you're trying to hard code console communication stuff into your game. And if you do, you're going to have a bad time with that port. Oh, yeah. I, I, that, that's sort of um, to do something like that is generally poor, poor development practices. Yeah. So. But OK, but to continue the answer. So you know, we have like that tool. We have a lot of in-game tools to like I wrote a level of building uh, tool, which I'm actually going to rebuild once we uh, kind of get through the current demos. Um, but I did write a level editor for the game. I wrote all of this. Uh, so, so tell me about that. The le level editor. So <laughs> what's sorry? I, I know I'm getting technical here, but <laughs> the just sort of using what Unity has wasn't enough. Like no, no. So what else did you? What what, what was missing that? I wanted to be able to take a prefab. So let's say. Um, so think of the whole world like it's all Lego blocks, right? Mm -hmm. And you have a scene in the game and I wanted to place like a dresser, but this dresser might be made up of, it might be a prefab made up of a bunch of different objects. So, you know, like drawers and pieces yep. on it, everything. So I'd have that pre-built. Now, mm -hmm. if I were to just take that and drop it into the scene, I would have to go through every single piece and adjust their, you know, layer depth and everything to make sure it works with the other objects in the scene. Well, what I did in the editor is I created this whole palette of things. I, I called them stamps. So I'd have a stamp of that dresser. So I could select that, click in the scene, and I could hit uh, just like the forwards and backwards buttons on my keyboard, and it will properly align all of those layers. The, just the layer ordering. So that was okay, that that's kind of cool. Because that's like, yeah. I, do I do have that problem, like it, obviously when I'm doing care and Dow stuff, but I. I guess it hasn't bothered me enough to think about making a tool to solve it. I guess, I don't know. Well, just think of the time save is all. I don't know if it's a huge time save. I've never considered it as like a, a huge time <laughs> sink. But For hey, me, it I was mean, a huge time save. Okay. Um, so there's that. Uh, we have a lot of tools to do various things. Like, you know, we have the terrain editor, uh, which, is actually part, which is actually part of Unity, not, not one we wrote. Uh, but we have that. I have a very, very involved dialogue editing tool that I wrote. That allows us to all these dialogue tell options. Tell me, tell me about that because I want to see how it compares against mine. Because I wrote, I, I, I'm pretty proud of what I have too. So I, it's a custom node-based dialogue system with a WYSIWYG mm -hmm. editor that actually shows you like the graph. Yep, no WYSIWYG for me. You already got me beat. Um, <laughs> and uh, there's nodes for everything, and I can relatively easily add new nodes. And I mean, honestly, the code's got a little clunky at this point. I'll probably scrap and rewrite it for potato sequels because um, there are three games planned if it does well. Wow. And, uh, <laughs> and but um, twenty thirty-five. <laughs> Uh, but uh, each of the dialogue nodes does things like, you know, can adjust the little um, effects over the character's head. You have the little emote icons and that stuff. We can play sound, we can shake the camera, we can move characters around the scene. We can I change I don't do talking. that in my dialogue system. I do that just my cutscene stuff. I just have dialogue cool, just in cool. dialogue. Right. Um, we can change, we can change the emotions characters showing their faces. We can change the animation characters are playing um change the music we can give items to the player we can give quests we can complete quests we can give hats and weapons uh it all plugs into the state system so we can check if different uh local local um what i call volatile states are 
what their value is or if they exist, we can check for game-wide state flags. Uh, we can check if you have a quest, if you have a certain weapon, which I think I already said. So we can check all this and like A, B things. We can also have like um, uh, uh, selectable nodes. So a node you get to, then you like choose like one or two or one or three options, which then branches off to other things. We know how many times you've spoken to a character and many more things. So um, in your WYSIWYG system, because like, is when it comes to like writing, what's the benefit of that versus say just writing together, like throwing together in a C sharp script for like the sequence of events you want to have have occur in a certain cutscene? Sure, I, I can easily explain that because I've done exactly that in previous projects, mm -hmm. and the managing that's what of I'm doing that for Karen Dow, right? <laughs> the managing of that, the tweaking of things, and bug fixing took up more time than I would even want to admit to. Like, you know, we want to tweak one little tiny thing and we change that, but oh, wait, I fucked up something in the code or I went too far. So trying to I haven't to manage, had that problem yet. Hopefully you I don't. Will. You, you hopefully won't, but you, you very well might. So like, uh, th that's what we did in the Steve Aoki game that we released a while ago. All of the, the cinematics were like that. And they were pretty simple in comparison. So based on how much time we spent doing that, I'm like, we can't do that again. If we're going to do all this dialogue stuff, we got to have a proper editor that does all this for us. So now as a result, I can add dialogue in seconds. And that dialogue can do quite a lot of stuff, way more than just, you know, hi, hi. You know, we can have these characters fucking bouncing around. We can be like, we want you to walk over here and then continue the dialogue and all this stuff, all the simple editor. And because it's all, you know, handled in code and it's error checked in code all these things we know it's going to work every single time if i drop this node here i don't have to you know go and wait for everything to recompile and all that i drop it in hit play and we're going right right now and we know it's going to work okay yeah i, I see the time savings there okay you've sold me <laughs> i'm not changing karen down now it's too much oh, work no don't, don't change what you already <laughs> have keep in mind for the future in fact Unity actually added in a graph node system, uh, an open- Which graph. version did they add that in? 2018, 2019, I think it was. It was long after we built the dialogue editor for Potato, because for Potato, we had to write a custom fucking node graph system. Mm. Uh, but Unity's is actually, and I don't always say it's about Unity, it's actually pretty slick. Mm. And I used it uh, when I was helping um, Rocket Cat Games with Dad by the Sword because I did I did sort of some character editing stuff with it and I, I was I'm building this up I'm like man I wish we had this and we did Potato I never would have written a custom node graph engine um, so for future things I am totally using Unity's built-in one unless they fucking depreciate it again because oh. Unity like gets off on doing that yeah they do like I I, I um. I told you before that when I installed Unity 2020 to do to use a, a lightweight render pipeline so I could do 2D shadows, it completely destabilized my entire computer at Open Unity. My computer would just crash. <laughs> that sounds like Unity, yeah. If I, had to, I had to roll back, and I haven't tried again. Maybe when I get a new computer, I finally will. <laughs> Which I'm still well, waiting. Luck, that 16-inch MacBook Pro. <laughs> Here we go again. All right. Uh, URP is pretty nice, though. I, I use that in everything anymore. Yeah, um, I, I didn't get too much into it, um, but it seems like it would be. <laughs> um, if you could give advice to either a 10-year-old version of yourself or another developer or, or game developer or me, <laughs> what, advice, what advice would that be? 
when you get into the industry, everybody's going to tell you, um, pick something simple and small to make. And I'm I gonna, ignored that. <laughs> well, I Sorry wish I had ignored that because I always wanted to make the big game. And I had always heard, you know, make the small, simple games, just get some stuff out there. Um, and yeah, no, that's bullshit because Potato, even though I've been making it since 2015, I have learned so much making, even getting to where we are with that today. And I've come so much further as an engine, as both an engineer and a game designer and a game developer and a story writer and every, every single part of my career, just by working on a giant game, my, my giant dream game. And if I had done that back in 2002, when I first got started, I think I'll be way further along today. But I took the shitty advice that everybody else says is the best advice you can do in games. So yeah, my, my, my advice is make that giant game. Even if you don't finish it, you're gonna learn so much by doing it, you're going to lightning around your own career. Plus when it comes to games, uh, let's be honest, passion is what really makes it because you get a lot of games out there that are just kind of junk or don't really make money. Then you also get these games that are titles that people put a lot of passion and love into. And those tend to be the games that get much more recognized. I'm, I'm, I guess I'm talking more for smaller companies. If you're a bigger company, this will get it recognized. Um, but for smaller companies, and I'm not going to say it holds true all the time, but you, know, you get a lot of games like Celeste and such uh, and uh, Fez, which are just made basically with, you know, in absolute debt. Um, but they put a lot into it and they believed in what they were making. And as a result, they put it out there, which kind of also goes to, and I guess, I guess I'm gonna give you a second piece of advice too. Uh, um, and I, this is where I piss off the indies because I, I guess I try not to see myself as indie anymore because what I've, come to learn what indie is a lot. And I, and I say this because I've actually seen people say this too, is indie is not business, indie is making games. I'm like, okay, that's great. But if you're running an indie studio, you need money, you gotta treat your games as products. Um, you, you gotta put passion into it. You can still treat it differently than the big studios do and throw lots of money in, but it still needs to be a product and i have literally seen massive groups of people fight against that and i'm sure you know you'll probably get shit from me saying that on this podcast but that's my two cents is your game is a product treat it like a product I agree. Why, yeah. like I, I i agree with you but i feel like indies get so much pushback because it doesn't sound nice it sounds it, it, indie their games are artwork to them. That's probably more artwork than, than something you want to monetize and make money off of, but they all yeah. want to make money off of it. But products need to be more than art. They need to have a market. They need to, they need to be able to make money. I, I mean, um, you know, I, I say potato has three games in the story um, before I, I close it out entirely. And, and I have a planned finite ending to the whole thing. But let's be honest, if potato one sells like a copy or two, I'll, I'll, I'll be miserable, but I'll probably cancel the next two games or I'll just Too turn bad. them into like a book or something. You, you won't get your potato cinematic universe. <laughs> I mean, I certainly hope it does. And that, that's the, the passion of me talking is I want to tell this full story because I mean, I fucking love it. I, I go on walks and all I do in my walk is like listen to music that's inspiring. And imagine like and the game story yeah, and the world. I'm thinking about like, like how the first one ties into the next two and 
and what like the final final boss of the three games are like i have it all planned out and oh, I, I totally relate to it. i've done the same thing with karendow except it's not going to be a kids <laughs> of karendow trilogy it's going to be a kids of and then there'll be a different nation that they're that we're following but all the stories cool. are going to um overlap and the characters will overlap and there is an overarching narrative or overarching narrative that that has already been sort of built out in my mind but <laughs> god knows if we'll ever see that you, you, you don't need to tell me on the podcast i mean but do you know what the names of your games are going to be so the second one is kids of proof and then the third one i haven't named yet um I, i've got a couple ideas because that one's going to have a very heavy sci-fi space element to it <laughs> so I haven't figured out exactly um, how that one's going to work out or if it ever gets made, but story for another year, Fair decade, enough. whatever. Uh, I won't say on the podcast, but I can DM you what the names of all three potato games are. Sweet. Um, there's, it's not, there's some spoiler stuff in the titles. It's nothing you'd be able to discern from me, from me uh, saying it here, but for anybody who's like playing the game or playing demos and things as they get into it if they hear these they'll start to figure shit out so i'll tell you privately after this what the all right. what the games are all called do you want to give a pitch uh for runic sure um so runic uh premium and i do mean premium in every sense of the word none of that premium shit premium match three story adventure coming later this year to whatever our publishers will let us put it on uh about working with the celestials to solve a world ending crisis sounds great <laughs> all right my friend red it has been actually thank you for coming this has been a lot of fun um, we are going to be posting all of your social media and links to any game you basically want in the description so okay. we'll make sure that you, you get all the clicks um yeah it's been great uh thank you so much for coming and we will see you next time